Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. I'm going to begin with the story that not only has Ontario talking, but has the rest of the country paying attention, and paying attention because electricity prices, huge issue. And Ontario particularly has been at the vanguard of this issue with electricity pricing, as you know. With so many people who are economically disadvantaged, going without electricity for sometimes months on end because they couldn't afford to pay the rates that Kathleen Wynne's nebulous government was responsible for. And so Wynne, recognizing that she was in desperate political trouble, you know the rest of the story, they reduced the... uh, the amount by 25%, if you consider, if you also include the HSD, that's going to be, uh, that was going to be taken away. So 25%, she's the hero, the heroine. Except for the fact that it's going to cost billions more to, you know how it is, re-amortize the, uh, the loan. But then the whistleblower popped up and provided the Progressive Conservative Party and Patrick Brown, their leader, with information and a document that was supposed to be only for the eyes of the cabinet of the Wynn government that deals with what their plans are for electricity pricing following next year's election. And it was going to be another horrific attack on electricity pricing. Premier Rose, happy to talk to you. So I had a conversation with Patrick Brown about an hour ago about this issue And uh, the Progressive Conservative Party leader believes that he has the opportunity to roll back and adjust the electricity pricing with options that are available to him as premier, which Kathleen Wynne apparently doesn't recognize. Anyway, have a listen to my conversation with Patrick Brown, and then we'll talk, you and I will talk, about electricity pricing, about the, 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 the Wynn government, and before the, uh, the, before the end of the hour, Francesca Dobbin will be joining us, the executive director of the United Way in Great Bruce County. You remember Ms. Dobbin was on this program quite a, quite a few times as we were a few months ago talking about the difficulties Canadians or Ontarians were under trying to pay their electricity bills. Ms. Dobbin is so outspoken and so clearly, clearly, directly spoken about where the problem lies, and the problem lies in the Premier's office at Queen's Park. Here's my conversation with Patrick Brown. Mr. Brown, the Liberal document shows electricity rates will be stable until the next year's election and then begin to climb and spike in 2022, reaching a 50% increase in cost to consumers by 2028. Is that correct? You know, the Liberals have been trying to pitch a a charade uh, to Ontarians, and the fact that we're now having whistleblowers within the civil service uh, expose the government, I I think, is shocking. The fact that their own cabinet document shows that electricity prices are going to skyrocket after the election um, is another example of how they're trying to mislead Ontarians. And this is their own document. This is their own projections. And you know, I realize the government's doing damage control right now, but the reality is they're bringing back the debt retirement charge. Hydro rates are going to skyrocket, and their borrowing plan was all just temporary. It was about an election, not about Ontario. When uh, the minister, when Mr. Thibault says you have a draft copy of one of the many proposals and one topic of discussion, uh, after he said he couldn't be sure whether the document is accurate, I ask myself, well, which is it? Well, first of all, he's never denied the debt retirement charge is coming back. He's never denied that we're going to see the hydro rate skyrocket. The fact that we have uh, a liberal cabinet document, uh, a liberal projection, um, 
obviously it's embarrassing for them, uh, the fact that their own civil service believes so little in this government that they're now leaking documents to the uh, opposition. No one has confidence. They have made a mess of this. Since Glenn Thibault has been in charge and this Liberal government has been in charge, hydro rates under the McGuinty and Wynn governments have gone up 400%. They've taken Ontario from having average hydro prices to among the highest in North America. They've made us a laughing stock, and of course, they're making a bigger mess right now. They're not addressing any of the structural problems. They're going to borrow money to hide the problem for a few years just, just so they can present this as, as a fake bill of goods to Ontarians. And I'm glad that we're exposing them. I'm glad the civil service is calling this government out and exposing them for the, for the mess they're making. What do you make of the fact they give you eight days to debate and then accept? Well, they don't want to debate it. They realize that uh, this, this, uh, this spin, uh, the numbers don't add up. And why would they want to have debate on their borrowing plan? You know, if they give us debate, we can talk about the fact they're doing enough, nothing about out-of-control executive salaries in hydro. We can talk about the staff, the, the fact we're still spilling water power in Ontario. We, we, we can debate the fact that we're giving away free electricity to Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York. You know, the best Minister of Economic Development that the U.S. has ever seen is Kathleen Wynne, and they don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about the fact they're standing behind their bad contracts. You know, clearly they were taken by surprise and taken aback by the fact that you had this information from the whistleblower. But then why would anyone trust the Wynn government on anything that has to do with electricity pricing? This is a government which permitted the poorest in Ontario to go without electricity for months. This is a government which allowed people to be punished for no reason whatsoever. Well, and, and it goes worse than that. It's that beyond having people struggle to pay their hydro bills and living in energy poverty. You know, the only folks that have benefited in Ontario from this failed energy policy is the Liberal Party themselves. It's that ugly. Of the 30 mega contracts that they signed for all this excess energy we don't need and we're giving away to the U.S., of those 30 bad mega foreign deals, the Liberal Party received $1.3 million in donations. No wonder they don't want to look at their bad contracts. It's, it's been a cash cow for the Liberal Party. It's disgusting. It's offensive. And this is one of the many reasons we need to defeat this government that has taken Ontario down the wrong path. So how much control does, never mind the Liberals, but how much control does any Ontario government have over electricity pricing when the Liberal government has sold off significant portions of Hydro One? Well, there's lots of opportunities to, 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 to fix this mess. Uh, on the Hydro One fire sale, uh, they, it will be uh, very difficult to, to, to fix that because they've actually included a rider in, in, the, in the sale of the shares uh, that uh, we can't buy back majority control. It was a bad decision. It was short-sighted. But where we can, where we can clean up the mess is on this over-generation. It, there are opportunities to get out of these bad contracts. We can stop signing new ones. We can look at the existing ones. You, know, you look at the Samsung deal. There was an exit clause in that contract. We could have got out of a billion and a half of surplus electricity, and they didn't take it because they didn't want to look like they were walking away from the Green Energy Act. You know, so there are opportunities to get out of some of these deals. And by the way, the day after their fair hydro plan, their borrowing scheme, a day after they proceeded with 1,100 new ones, despite the fact we're giving energy away at a loss, they keep on signing new bad deals, and only a change of government is going to stop that ugly practice. 
Well, I was also thinking this has to be very frightening news for anyone who's living on the margins as far as uh, financial stability is concerned. They know what's happened in the past. They know what uh, what the Liberal government is capable of. In fact, I'm going to be speaking with Francesca Dobbin shortly from the Bruce Gray United Way, and she's been at the forefront of pointing out how people have suffered. But what do you expect the, the ultimate response or the final response from the Liberal government to be? They have, they have this, 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 uh, this uh, plan in front of you. You have it in front of you. They're saying it may not be the real thing or it isn't the real thing. What do you expect them to do, finally? Well, I think they've been caught red-handed. And so what do Liberals always do? Uh, they do damage control. They try to confuse. They try to mislead. And I, I think we're finally at a point where um, people aren't buying it anymore. I remember listening to Kathleen Wynne say in the legislature every day how we had among the lowest hydro rates. And they thought they kept on repeating um, a mistruth that eventually people would believe it. But the reality is everyone pays their hydro bill. They see it. They yeah. know yeah. that it's out of control. And so you can't trick people when they have to pay it themselves. It wasn't a case of people not wanting to pay. They couldn't pay because it, it, it just accelerated so dramatically. We have record amount of Ontarians in arrears uh, that they simply cannot pay their hydro bill. This has been uh, a hard hit for the most vulnerable in our province. It has been a job killer. People that need jobs who can't find a job, well, companies can't compete when you have hydro rates that are three times that of Quebec that, you know, we're, we're just not competitive. And so and this is why hydro is one of the biggest issues in Ontario, because not only has it hurt the most vulnerable, but it's killed jobs and it's set Ontario back. And this is, this is on Kathleen's wins watch. I, I stress the point. Hydro rates under this Liberal government have gone up 400%. They wear that. That ugly stat is their creation. And uh, clearly, the hydro rates are not going to go down, uh, even if they were to be re-elected next year, which is probably unlikely. But even if they were to be re-elected next year, this plan shows clearly their objective is to, once the election is over, raise the rates again in a dramatic fashion. Dramatic fashion. But I also say this. We cannot underestimate the Liberals. A lot of people say they're so low in the polls right now, five OPP investigations, they're, they're bound to lose. They will say anything to win. They will do anything to win. You talk about our hydro rates. Remember the gas plant, that scandal, that billion dollars that we now pay on our hydro bills? Yes. They did that just to save a single seat. They will blow a billion dollars of your money, of Ontarians' money, simply for their own self-interest, their own their own election purposes. They, they, they got caught. That's going to a criminal trial in four months where they blew a billion dollars just to win a seat. So I'm not underestimating. I know... This team uh, will say anything and do anything to win seats. And you're telling the Ontario voter that if Patrick Brown of the Progressive Conservatives form the next government of Ontario, you will be able to mitigate the damage that uh, the Liberal government has caused to people's wallets and their their sense of confidence in being able to flip flick a switch and have the lights go on. We are going to get hydro rates down. We are going to clean up this mess. Uh, and, and, and frankly, we're going to end these ethical lapses at Queen's Park. Just last week, I presented in the legislature an Ontario Ethics and Accountability Act trying to remove these loopholes that the Liberals have uh, driven a truck through on, on, uh, on abusing taxpayers and, uh, and all, these, all these scandals. And they actually voted against our Accountability Act. Simple things like 
ministers can't fundraise off their stakeholders. You can't ask for money off people you're giving government contracts to. You can't use the order. You can't use government funds for partisan advertising. They actually voted against our accountability act, and I can tell you that if I'm premier, I'm going to pass that accountability act to make sure governments can't continue to abuse the public's trust. All right, Mr. Brown. I guess, uh, as the cliche goes, past behavior is the most accurate predictor of future behavior. And uh, if we look at the wind government's past behavior, we have a pretty good idea of what they'll be doing in the future, if they were to be elected. And as you say, you're not prepared to take them for granted. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, once again, thank you for the, the pleasure to be on your show. So there's my conversation with Patrick Brown, the Progressive Conservative Party leader, about the uh, whistleblower document that was supposed to be only for the eyes of the ministers of the wind government about their plans for electricity pricing up by more than 50% by 2028. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Francesca Dobbin is the executive director of the United Way and Bruce and Gray Counties in Ontario. She has been the most outspoken, most honest, forthright person on this whole file, this whole issue. We've spoken to her many times. And we've also spoken with uh, at least one, perhaps two, of uh, Ms. Dobbin's clients who had their hydro shut off. Shut off. Not because they didn't want to pay, but because they couldn't afford the dramatic increases in hydro costs that are directly traceable to the decisions made by the Wynn government. Francesca, hi. It's been a while since we've talked. Yeah, it has been a while. So now we have the story of this leaked document. And uh, the leaked documents suggest that by, if the Liberals are re-elected, everything will be static until next year. And then after they're elected, prices will go up, hydro prices will go up. And by 2028, they're projected to go up by 50%. And the government is saying, oh, no, that's an old document. That's just, that was just something that we looked at a few months ago. It's, it's, it's old information. What do you say? Um, I would say that, you know, if they're holding it to inflation for four years, obviously at the end of those four years, they're going to have to look at what this system needs in increases. So I really hope that there's a, um, a hold on, you know, all that new build, any new build, no new contracts. You know, the grid is producing what it's needed, um, you know, and it's got the capacity so we don't actually have to build anything more than what we've already got. So hopefully if we can hold the line on everything, then there won't be a need for drastic increases in, in four to five years when that hold comes if there were If there were a 50% increase in hydro prices, what would it do to the poorest people it in would your counties? People, people would just start to learn to live without power because there's no solutions. There's no, you know, you can't, there's only so much money for social agencies and you can only access it once a year and it's only $500. And so people would just start putting their money they're spending on utilities into alternative behind the meter solutions or just learning to live without uh, power. Um, you know, people are buying generators, which is the worst thing, you know, when you're looking at climate change, that's the last thing you want running is generators. So, you know, people will just go back to the basics. They'll be so back to back to the, the back to the middle ages. We'll be back to little house on the prairie. Um, you know, the wood stove and Isn't that awful, you know, a whole different Isn't that awful in a country that is so technologically advanced, in a country that has every opportunity to use its own resources to, in in an expensive way, provide people the opportunity and the right to fuel their homes in a manner they can afford, that they have to be afraid that the government, whether it's a provincial government, in this case the Ontario government, or a federal government in cahoots with them, they have to be afraid that they may not be able to not only turn on their lights, but they'll just have to go without it. 
It's terrible. Absolutely. And, it's terrible. And every, in any political party, you know, what, what is everywhere, what are the other options? What are the NDP proposing? What are the PCs proposing to do? Should the Liberals not get reelected? You know, what are they going to do with this file? How are they going to manage these costs? How are they going to manage to make sure the supplies is there and that, uh, the, the lines are safe and the polls aren't falling down all the time. How are they going to invest in the system? Fair question. Mr. Brown tells us that there are ways that he would be able to do that. He, there are ways that he'd be able to economically deal with it and deal with the contracts that are in place. He talked about, a, um, I forget which uh, which company it was now. It wasn't Samsung. Enbridge, probably. Enbridge or Samsung. No, was it Samsung? Uh, there, was an, there was an exit clause? I, I don't think. Yeah, th- the, the Samsung. They they tell. They said there was an exit clause that yeah, the government yeah. did not elect to use. But the um, the, the, the question the question them. the question though, Francesca, is: Can you trust a government that has put you behind the eight ball and created the kind of um, terrifying reality for people? If you if you have little babies and you can't turn on the lights and you don't have heat when you need it, or if there's a flood in your basement, your sump pump doesn't work because there's no hydro. Is there is there any reason to give that government another opportunity? To kick, uh, to kick the can. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's. A, I'm not going to put you in that. I'm not going <laughs> to put you in behind that ball. Of, of uh, the privacy of the ballot box, um, because you have to weigh everything, all the yeah. programs, all the the. You know, there have been good things that this government has done, and there's some things that you just shake your head at. Um, and so then, you know, it really becomes what is the other options? What are the other policies being proposed? And as always, you know, holding your nose and going with the lesser of three evils. What a way to vote. What a way to vote. Yeah. But I remember you telling me in our first conversation that you had fears that there were people who were going to die because of the policies of the wind government as far as electricity was concerned and electricity pricing was concerned. They didn't seem to understand that. They didn't seem to want to understand it until the premier eventually said, I think it was in March or February, she said, well, I made a mistake. Gee, um, it was a lot of misery before she made that statement. So, and and a lot of it also comes back to, to the individual utility company policies. So, you know, we did have a death last year directly related to being disconnected with a, a, a generator explosion. Um, you know, but that relates back to the disconnection policies of yeah. the individual company, which was then you know created by the high cost of the power. And I I know Hydro One has drastically changed their customer yes, service. Yes, they have. Process. Reluctantly. Reluctantly. Very, well, yeah, you know, a lot of bad publicity will finally push people into uh, ethical action. So, you know, we're, but we were forward-facing, so great on them. Thanks. We're going to partner with you. We will continue to work with you, and that's awesome. Um, you know, it's better to look forward than to look back. I can, uh, I can say that I would vote for Francesca Dobbin as Premier <laughs> of Ontario. I would. I would. Thanks for the time. I know you're All very right. busy. Thanks for the time. All right. Thanks, Roy. Bye-bye. Francesca Dobbin, the executive director of the Bruce Gray County's United Way. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. I think it was last January that I first started talking about, I thought that maybe Donald Trump could win the primaries for the the uh, Republican Party, almost a conservative party. And by July, I made the prediction that he couldn't lose. And he didn't. That's history. It's been a tumultuous 100-plus days for the Trump administration. And this past week has been one that has 
stunned a lot of people. And it's also caused supporters of Mr. Trump, and I've seen the emails, I've had the phone calls from friends, it's caused supporters of Mr. Trump to question whether he really is the right man for the White House. Now, I know there'll be lots of people who will be upset with what I just said, because you're not supposed to challenge the President of the United States, because what he stands for is opposition to what Barack Obama gave us for eight years and what the Clinton dynasty provided for eight years. And after all, it's only been 100-plus days. So when I say that maybe Donald Trump has had the worst week uh, that I can remember a president having in the last 10 years, so that includes the administration of Mr. Obama, there will be those who will say, wait a minute, Green, your memory's failing you, or you just have switched sides. Neither is the case. I haven't switched sides, and I think my memory's okay. Now, Obama had a lot of bad weeks, and we talked about them. But if I focus only on the firing of the FBI director by the President of the United States, I'm looking at a situation that just was bizarre. Now, you have the director of the FBI, and he has had his problems, yes. And the Republicans and the Demo Party, the Democrats, at varying times, supported the director of the FBI, Mr. Comey, or the former director now. Or they wanted him removed, depending on the depending on his stance on, on, on a particular situation. If he was for Hillary Clinton or seemed to be protecting her or suggesting she wasn't involved in a criminal enterprise with her server, with her server, then he had to go. But if he attacked Hillary Clinton, then he could stay. And the converse was true, of course, for the Democrats. But all of a sudden this week, Mr. Trump fires James Comey. Now, it's the prerogative of a president of the United States to fire the FBI director. He has every right to do that, and he doesn't necessarily have to explain. Smart if he does, but he doesn't have to. But he fired the FBI director without telling him. And Mr. Comey was in Los Angeles with, uh, with other people from the FBI, and you know the story. They saw it flashed on a television screen that Comey had been fired. He thought it was funny. He thought it was a joke. Somebody was playing on him. And then the folks who worked with him said, no. We need to talk to you about a letter we just received from the president. And that was the end of the Comey tenure as director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. There is speculation that perhaps Mr. Comey was getting too close to a possible arrangement between the Trump campaign and the Russians. There's speculation. There's no fact, no evidence. There's speculation. But it was particularly interesting that Mr. Trump, in his letter of dismissal to James Comey, included a line that said, you've three times told me that I'm not under investigation. Why? Why would you put that in a letter of dismissal to the FBI director? Why? It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make sense. And apparently, Mr. Trump didn't tell his communications team until an hour before he fired James Comey that he was going to do it. And then the president decided to rip into his communications team because they didn't cover him well enough after the firing. 
Well, if you only get an hour's head heads up on something as significant as the, the as the firing of the FBI director, it doesn't give you a lot of time to prepare to answer 30, 40, 50 questions from the press corps. And after Mr. Trump was dissatisfied with the performance of his communications team, always dissatisfied with the questions from the mainstream media, he's now suggested that he may end the daily White House press briefings. It just doesn't make sense. I'm not saying that he has a relationship with the Russians. I'm not saying that he doesn't. I don't know. There's speculation, certainly among the Demo Party members, that because uh, Comey was getting too close to the truth of a relationship between Trump and the Russians, that's why he fired him. The Republicans are saying absolute nonsense. And Mr. Trump is saying it's absolute nonsense. We don't know. But it wasn't particularly bright to on the day after you fire the FBI director to have your photographs splashed across media in North America and globally with you in the Oval Office with the foreign minister of Russia and the ambassador to the United States from Russia. It's not the best optic. And now they're talking about needing an, uh, was an independent investigator. I heard a lot of people talking about needing a special prosecutor. Well, you don't need a special prosecutor because you have nothing to prosecute. Yet. And may never have. And so a few people have said to me, well, how do you think this is going to end? If it ends badly, how is it going to end? If it ends badly for Trump, how is it going to end? Will it be somebody in the Democratic Party who will have evidence about or gather evidence about a relationship with the Russians or have some sort of issue, really significant issue, with his management of the United States from within the White House that has nothing to do with the Russians? How will it, is that how it will end? And I said, I think if it ends and it has anything to do with a potential relationship with the Russians, it won't be the Democrats who spill the beans. It won't be the Democrats who make the difference. What will happen is that some of the more successful members of Mr. Trump's interior um, group of advisors and secretaries, like Rex Tillerson, they'll just walk away. Because you won't have somebody like a Rex Tillerson, who's had a tremendously successful private career, go down in flames with a Trump ship. He just won't do it. They won't do it. They'll walk away. Because that will not, in their legacy, be the last thing that happens to them in public life. They won't let that happen. There's also talk that Mr. Trump in, uh, in the White House in front of staff ripped into H.R. McMaster, his... Uh, is um, national security advisor. You don't do that. These are accomplished individuals whom you ask to be part of your administration. You don't then tear into them. But the issue is the firing of James Comey, the FBI director. And the way it was done, no replacement in place. And Mr. Comey finds out by what? a television report that he didn't believe. And then there are stories, and I'm sure that you've heard them, that they, were, they had dinner together and at the president's request, and the FBI director really didn't want to sit down with the president because it might compromise him. But he, you know, the president asks you to dinner, and you, you pretty well have to go. And at that dinner, it said that Mr. Trump said to Mr. Comey, will you swear your allegiance or promise your allegiance to me? 
And the FBI director said, no, I can't do that. I'll, do, I'll tell the truth, but I cannot pledge allegiance to you. That's, I can't do that. And he can't. And I think that with Donald Trump, it's a situation where you're either 100% with him or 100% against him. There's no middle ground. And when he ran the Trump empire, that was perfectly fine. That's the way he ran it. I'm sure in the corner office of Trump Tower, he was the final and only say, or his was the only final, the final and only say, and, and appropriately so. It was his money. It was his business. It was his decisions that were going to be carried out, and they would either succeed or fail based on what he decided. And he's been extremely successful. But now we're at the situation where people are asking whether the right man is in the White House or the right person is in the White House. I said the right man because he was his opponent. It was, of course, Hillary Clinton. And one call I had from a friend a couple of days ago asked me this question. Do you think the United States would be better off? Do you think the world would be better off if Hillary Clinton had become president? I said, no, absolutely not. Do I have more questions about Donald Trump as president of the United States this week than I did three or four weeks ago? Yes. I do. I don't know whether the right man is in the White House. I don't know whether the right man is sitting behind the Oval Office desk. I don't know. I don't know if he's guilty of anything. I don't know if he's, if he's not. I don't know. I hear so much polarized opinion that it's almost requisite that you, you pick a side. It's almost requisite that you pick a side. And then you defend that position, and what I find people doing, and I'm subject to this to a certain extent, until I remind myself what my obligation is, you go to sources which essentially agree with the position that you've adopted. So if you're anti-Trump, you'll go to sources and you'll investigate and listen to and watch sources that are also anti-Trump. If you're for Trump, you'll go to sources, investigate, and listen to sources that are for Trump because it underscores and supports the position you've taken. We're all more comfortable if somebody supports the position we take individually. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Edmonton Conservative Member of Parliament, Mike Lake. His son, Jaden, is autistic. And Mike gave a 60-second speech in Parliament about his son, which he does annually. Got a standing ovation from all members of Parliament. And then there was a question that uh, Mr. Lake had for the Prime Minister of Canada, and I want you to hear what Mr. Trudeau had to say, and we'll play that for you in a few minutes' time. Mike, thank you for uh, coming on the program, and uh, it's great to speak to you about your son, who you love tremendously, and I've heard, I've heard you speak about your son, I've, I've read what you've written about your son, and it just sounds like a remarkable relationship between a father and his son. It's inspiring. Yeah, he's uh, he's a pretty incredible kid. Uh, Twenty one years old now and uh, nonverbal. He's he's kind of like a three or four year old in a in a twenty one year old's body. But uh, he he's a he's a very inspiring kid. I still talk to people who say to me, "Well, what exactly is autism, and how do you diagnose it, and how does it affect a person's life?" Can you give us a, a bit of a perspective on on what the autism spectrum is about? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it is a spectrum, and and so. One in 68 kids today is being diagnosed with autism. It's uh, the, the fastest growing neurological disorder um, that we have. Uh, you know, if you think about that one in 68 number and think about, say, a, an average family of four, that means one in 17 Canadians is, is living in a household with a, 
a person with autism in that household somewhere on the spectrum. And, you know, the, the spectrum is wide and, and, and each individual is very, very different. But uh, some of the things that would be common would be, uh, you know, difficulty with social interaction, uh, difficulty dealing with the abstract. Um, so I hate high-functioning, low-functioning language, but uh, but it, get, it gets used very often. So, you, But you, you might have someone like Jaden who is, uh, you know, he's nonverbal and, and really has difficulty with the abstract, so he really doesn't understand danger. You can't let him go outside uh, on his own because he, he wouldn't understand traffic, for example, or uh, the danger of, of dogs. Uh, he loves dogs, but uh, he would run up and, you know, go straight to a, a, a German shepherd and stick his face in the dog's face because he loves the smell of the dog's breath or the feeling of its tongue and the squishiest parts of the dog. So he'd, you know, squeeze the dog in its most sensitive parts and, and uh, not really understand that that's dangerous. And and so, you know, with Jaden, there's there's a lot of challenges in, in his case. You might have someone with a, you know, a higher IQ, let's say, um, who's able to complete an engineering degree uh, and and uh, be out there, but but really still have difficulty with the social interaction. So something like a job interview might be really really difficult. Some incredibly brilliant people, and we're not able to to as a society benefit from their incredible skills and abilities because uh, because no one will hire them because they can't get through that process, which is really irrelevant to the you know level of of, of competence that they would have for their job. Um, and then you have people more severe than Jaden as well. So yeah. Share with us, please, what it's like to be a parent of an autistic child, because what we're getting at here is that the federal government of Canada has an opportunity to provide support for the families of this country uh, and the uh, and the autistic individuals of this country. And uh, the Harper government had the plan in place. The Trudeau government isn't following through on it, and we'll get into that. But how does autism in a family member affect the rest of the family? Well, it, it would depend on the individual, but it, you know, it, it's uh, it's it's overwhelming at times. I mean, you're you're constantly battling to try to advocate for for your your son or daughter. Um, you know, it's the lifespan is just as long for a person with autism, notwithstanding danger and 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 maybe some difficulty understanding abstract things like going to the doctor when you're sick. But people with autism live uh, live long lives, and 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 so. You know, throughout that lifespan, there's different challenges. Early on, you're you're struggling to get that early intervention. There's great evidence-based early intervention uh, that you can do um, from the time actually earlier and earlier. But a child's one or two years old that makes a huge impact and really made a huge impact in Jaden's life and and uh, changes things moving on. Then you move to the education system, and you know you're you're dealing with issues of inclusion. We want to try and include our kids to the greatest extent that they can be included and that can be a challenge to navigate that system for for families and and uh and then you've got the transition to adulthood and vocation and housing and all of the things that go along with that and then of course the biggest challenge for for any family dealing with any developmental disability not just autism is what happens when you're gone because they've had that support all through their life and and that that world that they know which in autism is really really important to them and then one day you know the the parents are gone and, uh, and, and, and who's, you know, you hope that you're going to have a, a system and a society that's going to be wired to make sure that we care for them. Mm-hmm. What I'd like to do is, um, is play what you said to members of parliament this past April the 2nd. And the significance of, of April and April the 2nd is what? 
World Autism Awareness Day. So for the last, I think it's eight years, eight or nine years, uh, um, the UN uh, declared April 2nd as World Autism Awareness Day. And so it's it's one day in April is Autism Awareness Month, but uh, one particular day where, uh, you know, the world is kind of cool. There's a lighted up blue campaign that started with, with Autism Speaks in the U.S., but it's now gone around the world where landmarks like the high-level bridge right here in uh, in Edmonton uh, light up blue for uh, World Autism Awareness Day. And uh, it's just a, a, a good day to shine a spotlight and, and talk about what life is like for us, uh, for the families that are living with autism. So let's share with our listeners what you said in Canada's Parliament to the men and women of our Parliament, all the parties, what you, what you shared with them on the 2nd of April. Mr. Speaker, April 2nd was World Autism Awareness Day and 19 years since my son Jaden was diagnosed at 2. Jaden isn't special because he has autism, nor is he special despite having autism. He's just really and truly special. When you're with Jaden, he doesn't require you to be anyone you're not. He simply loves the fact that you're with him. He doesn't care at all what party you're with, whether you're the Prime Minister or a backbencher, a staff member, or even a member of the Parliamentary Press Gallery. He'll like you, and he'll trust you. And if you do him wrong, he'll probably like and trust you all over again before you've completed your next breath. Too often our society views such naivety as weakness. Having had the privilege of learning from Jaden for 21 years, I'd argue that the opposite is true. If we can adapt our thinking to include and embrace more of the raw honesty and vulnerability we see in people like Jaden, we will all be better off for it. So as you say those words, and they're meaningful, and I'm sure they touched everybody listening, whether they have a connection with autism or not, direct connection. Was the Prime Minister in the House when you when you said those words? Um, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah it was just before, is the last uh, statement from our side just before question period. That- You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. So, Mike, we just played back what you said to your fellow MPs. And we heard the tremendous response and the standing ovation. We're aware of that. So I have uh, a clip of you talking to the prime minister and the prime minister's response. Could you just set that up for us, please, uh, just before we play it? How did it, how did, how did it come to the point where you asked the prime minister a question about support? Just, just tell us that. Well, it was... Um it was uh, kind of a good situation because it was the first day that uh, that Justin started taking questions from from all MPs. So, Ron Ambrose, our leader, asked a question in the leaders' round um, about the Canadian Autism Partnership and why they didn't fund it. And and I got a chance to follow up towards the end of question period on his answer to her. And uh, of course, you know, I'm a, I'm a conservative. I want to see balanced budgets and a responsible approach to the economy and and everything else. Very important to my constituents here. But, uh, you know, governing is all about priorities and uh, really taking a look at what the priorities are for this country in terms of how we spend our money. We're talking about $3.8 million a year. We're talking about $0.10 per Canadian per year to fund a Canadian Autism Partnership to provide expert advice to the provinces where most of the delivery of services lies, uh, expert advice at the federal level when, you know, issues are in federal responsibility. And really, my question was about priorities. So let's have a listen to uh, to Mike Lee, to Member of Parliament Mike Lee, uh, addressing the Prime Minister of Canada on that issue. And then you'll hear the response from Mr. Trudeau, and you'll hear the Speaker of the House of Commons interjecting. So just listen to how this goes. 
Mr. Speaker, in response to an earlier question on autism from the Leader of the Opposition, the Prime Minister talked of his government, quote, highlighting the work that we are continuing to do, unquote. The trouble is, his government is doing the exact opposite. In 2015, our government funded a world-class Canadian Autism Partnership Working Group. The Liberal budget just rejected the request for funding to allow that critical work to continue. Can the Prime Minister please explain how his government can find nearly $400 million for a company that says they don't need it and not find $4 million a year to help Canadian families living with autism who desperately need it? Right, Honourable Prime Minister. I thank the member for his question and for his extraordinary advocacy on this file for uh, a very long time. It is one that uh, touches us all and we all know uh, we do need to work together to do more on. Uh, on the issue of funding from Bombardier, uh, we made sure that we're investing in the kinds of things that are going to lead to good jobs. I invite the Alton member for Grand Prairie Mackenzie and others to calm down and listen to the answer. We can't, if, if everyone talks all at the same time, this place cannot function and we all lose the rights to do our jobs. So let's finish this. The Right Honourable Prime Minister. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, we have, uh, have uh, an extraordinary minister uh, who is working on the Canada's first ever Accessibility Act uh, that will focus on ensuring that all Canadians of differing abilities and challenges uh, are able to succeed and, and uh, move forward in an inclusive country to, that gives everyone a real and fair chance to succeed. Well, Mike, it's embarrassing. And it's sad because the man's a father himself. And to name Bombardier and bring that up in his answer to you and, his, and your request to him and his government, it's embarrassing. And his response about what his government is doing for people with disabilities, it's like he was reading from a, a script or was, he's been pre-programmed on, on what to say. What was, your, what was your reaction to what Mr. Trudeau said to you? Well, you, you heard the reaction of members of I did. All, all opposition parties when he, when he started to go down that road. I think it was, I mean, it's telling that when given the choice between talking about what the government's doing for people living with autism or talking about Bombardier, which was and is, continues to be very controversial, that the Prime Minister chose to talk about Bombardier because there was really nothing to say about what the government's doing for, for people with autism. Um, I think... You know, in in terms of the accessibility legislation, I mean, that's something that's been consulted on. It's 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 months or years down the road, probably before it uh, before it comes to be and, and and is passed. Certainly important legislation, but we'll do very little. It's very broad based. We'll do very little to address the issues that we're talking about that are facing families uh, across this country. Some families who might be mortgaging their homes to pay for evidence based early intervention in some parts of the country. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to work with my Liberal colleagues. I've actually had a conversation with the Prime Minister, just a short one after, uh, after votes one day this past week, to, to chat a little bit about it and sort of point him in the direction of where he might go to get some information. Because I think it's quite clear in that, that answer that he didn't really know that much about autism or about the challenges that are facing families. You know, the approach that we're taking right now is our goal is to get the government simply to change its decision, um, to, 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 to say, you know what, we got this one wrong. Um, we've had a group of renowned experts from across the country working on this for, for almost a couple of years, actually longer than that, even before, obviously, we funded the working group. They've come out with a, a report that has a modest funding proposal, um, a very good approach in terms of uh, providing 
evidence-based information to, to, to decision makers, whatever the jurisdiction they're working in. And uh, it should just be funded. And yeah. and our goal right now is to get the government to change its mind and, and properly fund the Canadian Autism Partnership. So what can we all do as Canadians? What, we, what can we do to help? Well, you know, I'm fortunate. My, my official capacity is I'm the, I'm the critic for global maternal, newborn, and child health. So I work with international organizations um, who, who uh, you know, work on issues like polio eradication, um, efforts to save the lives of kids under five and mothers in and around childbirth and those kind of things. So I have good relationships with, with many organizations at that level. And one of those organizations, Global Citizen, which is a global organization, they host a, a, you know, a concert in Central Park every year. Um, this year it was Rihanna and Eddie Vedder and Metallica and Ellie Golding and Kendrick Lamar and a whole bunch of, of people come out and give their time to uh, raise awareness of you know, the most vulnerable in the world, poverty, uh, polio eradication, food aid, and all of those kind of things. Anyway, Global Citizen has a Canadian group fantastic group that's chosen the Canadian Autism Partnership as their first domestic action. And they work basically through social media to um, empower citizens to have their voice heard. And there's a global citizen action focused on the the, uh, Canadian Autism Partnership right now. Uh, I have it pinned to the top of my Facebook page and the top of my Twitter page, the link to that uh, that action. It it takes two minutes to, uh, to take some action and you'll tweet directly at the Prime Minister and at the Health Minister to say that it's important. And it's really phrased in a nonpartisan way. You know, I believe that people from all parties, when they properly understand how important something is and, and how vulnerable uh, a group of Canadians are, will make the right decision. So this is just about Canadians having their say, having their voice heard. And so if people go to those, uh, my, my, my handle on both Twitter and Facebook is Mike Lake MP, just M-I-K-E-L-A-K-E-M-P. And if you go there and, and click on the link, it'll tell you how to take that action. And uh, we need as many as many Canadians as possible to take take that action and have their voice heard uh, as quickly as possible to try and get the, the government to change its mind on this. Now, the Federal Minister of Health, uh, Minister Philpott, who is a doctor herself, received uh, thousands of tweets urging for funding of autism. So it's, uh, it's Mike Lake MP on both uh, Twitter and Facebook. Mike, thank you very much for uh, spending the time with us. Your great dad. The cause is tremendous. Federal government needs to step up. And anything we can do to help, just let us know. Roy, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. All the best to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mike Lake and uh, the issue of autism. Now, you can uh, you can support Mr. Lake, and you can support people dealing with and and, and uh, having to uh, having to come to grips with the autism issue, and maybe persuade our prime minister. Maybe persuade our prime minister. Maybe to just pony up $3.8 million. How much did that trip to the Bahamas cost? You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. I hear the uh, the word kiss. I hear the word kiss somewhere there. Yeah, he wasn't talking about the, uh, wasn't singing about uh, the rock group, he was singing about Linda Leatherdale. <laughs> She's oh, always talking about kissing these rocks. So, Linda, you know? Linda, what was the uh, what was the experience? Uh, remind us, please. Well, we we did a fundraiser for Stephen Tyler's new Janie's Fund, which really raises money for girls who have been abused. So Cambria got behind this. Anyway, I got to meet Stephen Tyler, and he was wearing my shawl, Roy. And then he turned around and he kissed me on the lips, and I went, "I'm never going to wash these lips ever." So how does how does Ian feel about all of this? Well, I came home from this event, 
And Ian was sleeping. He said, how did it go? And I went, Stephen Tyler kissed me on the lips. He just looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> you little groupie, you. <laughs> yes. It is time for Beauties and the Beast with Linda Leatherdale, Vice President of Lip Kissing Cambria. <laughs> Michelle Simpson, former liberal member of Parliament and seatmate to Justin Trudeau. So we've got lip kiss, Linda being kissed on the lips by Stephen Tyler. Michelle Simpson, who's sitting beside Justin Trudeau for years. Hi, Michelle. Hello. All right, most powerful woman in Canada. What's your story? <laughs> I've been babysitting my little nine-month-old granddaughter all afternoon, so oh. I'm, I'm covered in slobber, but let's say it's just a different kind than Linda is, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, beauties. Hello, beast. Hi, beast. I don't really know where to start. We've got so many things going on, but... Uh, um, well, let's start with this. The uh, Ontario government, because this is something going to interest people across the country, the Ontario government, desperate for re-election, is now looking at significant changes to the labor laws, and uh, they are going to raise minimum wages to $15 an hour, uh, private sector unionization going up, and companies that have part-time or contract work that is considered to be unfair are going to be targeted. So why don't we start with Ms. Swift, who was the uh, CEO and president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. No great surprise, Catherine, but uh, what's the response? Well, I, I'm, I am surprised even they would be this stupid. Um, it was very interesting. So some of the things they're talking about in terms of their review of their labor legislation is taking away the secret ballot vote for union certification, and replacing it with a card, a card signing. And this has been proven by credible research for decades, that the union leans on people and says, you know, sign this card if you like your kneecaps kind of thing. Um, and, of course, people are coerced into doing it, and it amounts to, you know, more unionization. But, of course, what we know is, in the private sector, unions are dying. And to think for any government, no matter how stupid, and this gang in Ontario, man, fits the bill, but... To, to think that this isn't just going to drive more business out of the province, which they've already done in spades, is unbelievable. And the minimum wage thing, they've done that in Alberta. Alberta is living with, at the moment, a, a graded increase that hasn't gone to $15 yet, but the Notley government, you know, again, planned to do this. I hear from businesses out in Alberta, you know what they're all doing with minimum wage jobs? Automating. Automating. In this yeah. day and age with robots and everything else, all this will do is eliminate those jobs completely. Humans won't be doing them anymore. And again, go back to all of the good fact-based research on minimum wage, and it shows it eliminates jobs for the most vulnerable potential employees, which are those that enter the, enter the labor force at a minimum wage level. And, and young people, too, because naturally when you're 18 – you're going to probably be making minimum wage. So right. those jobs are just yeah. gone. So, Michelle, as the person who has the experience in the political arena, when I read this initiative by uh, the Wynn government, I'm seeing them saying, who have we hurt the most and whom should we attract and who they've hurt the, mo hurt the most is people at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale, particularly with their uh, hydroelectric um, 
uh, magic. So what do we do now? We provide $15 an hour minimum wage. We allow unionization, uh, part-time work. If we consider that to be unfair, we'll take action. So we'll we'll get those votes. Is, Is that a likely scenario? Yes, because they're counting on people taking this at face value without understanding that there are long-range unintended consequences down the road that these people unfortunately don't see, and the wind government doesn't care. They just want the, you know, the vote. They want them to come out and put an X beside their name. Let's buy some votes. Yeah. Or let's exactly. let's 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 persuade people. Oh, Let, no, let's buy sounds, votes. That's what they're doing. They're like buying a votes. Plan. Yeah. But, but it, they're it, also it, beholden to the unions. Let's not forget yeah, that. The yeah. unions oh, yeah. spent yeah. tons yeah. of money to help reelect them last time when frankly their record meant they shouldn't have been reelected. But right. anyway, so this is also pandering to that particular and that's a very small constituency these days. It's virtually always the public sector actually. Yeah. yeah. So that's part of it too. Linda, how do you see it? <laughs> Well, it's funny, I just saw the Labour Minister, Kevin Flynn, my neighbor, raking his leaves up. I should have went and asked him, what are you smoking? Uh, Yeah, come on. Kathleen Wynne is the most unpopular premier ever. This, to me, is just another ploy to get the Liberals back in power. And I think Michelle is right. The average Joe is not going to do the research that, you know, Catherine's right on. This is probably going to hurt this province more, not help, particularly the small to medium-sized businesses who are our major employers. Mm-hmm. So, so I agree. Okay, so now let's do something a little different. Hmm. I sent you guys a list. We always have a list of issues that we want to talk about, but that changes on the fly. Yep. But I do know that Ms. Leatherdale is in the possession of a brand-new vehicle, and she's very proud of it, and she loves it as she should. Nothing's cheap these days, so you buy a nice car, and you love driving the car, and you're on the road, and ba-boom! Oh, Roy, I, I was shaken. I couldn't believe it. One of the biggest potholes I've ever encountered um, took out my tire, um, my new Mercedes, I will say, and I think you're a fan of Mercedes as well, Roy. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, but a nice car, and you know what? I need it for work, and the next thing I know, all the lights come on, and I blow in the tire. So thank goodness I have CAA. I, 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 I call a tow truck. And my, and my husband to come and get me. I was on my way to a meeting. And as I'm being told, this other Mercedes pulls in. And he said, did you hit that pothole? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I hit the same pothole yesterday. And I called the town of Oakville, where I live, and he reported it. Well, I'm going, why is it 24 hours later, this thing, there's no pylons, there's no warning. And needless to say, with the rain and other people probably hitting it, it got even deeper. But it was the response from the town that sort of really set me but, back. But this gets the first back thing to I one of my So what did, what, what, did the, what, did they, what did they say to you, though, Linda? Well, they sent me an email. I emailed. I reported it via phone. Get in touch with this guy. I email him, and he comes right back with this form, whatever. Well, we got to check with roads and transportation. They do their inspections. If they did their inspections, sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. But send us the invoice anyway. Well, as it turns out, $411 for a Pirelli tire. Oh, my God. My my rim is bent, but I needed the car for business. I was heading to Minnesota on business. Anyway, I, they, they fixed the tire. I sent in the bill, and, of course, I reminded them that they'd have been warned 
that they're, they're, they had a pothole there, nobody did anything, and therefore, yes, we will pay for your tires. All right, let's do some. I don't know about the rim. Let's I do some. Let's do something here. Can you tell us where that pothole is? It is at Great Lake <laughs> Boulevard, but we checked. It's now been. Okay, but what, where is it again? Great Lakes Boulevard and Lakeshore Road. All right, so it's Great Lakes Boulevard and Lakeshore Road in Oakville. In Oakville, and I am Ontario. sure I am not alone. Like, All right, so if anybody has hit that pothole in the last week or two and it's damaged your car, who do they get in touch with, Linda? Well, it's uh, a gentleman, Mr. Ball, at the town of Oakville. All right. So, so they um, owe you a new rim, Linda. Michelle, don't I know it? And I just bought the car. I was so proud of it. But you so know, when we and have governments boom. and we have them at every level, municipal, federal, and provincial, that are spending so much money to overpay the employees and fund their overly rich pensions and other benefits and on and on and on, that the the, the money that's actually remaining for services like filling potholes and healthcare and education, minor little details like that is Zippo. And yeah. this, is, this is a disease right through our government. Toronto well, Zoo employees went on strike this exactly. week. Yeah, what I'd like, what I'd like, they get what, 100 sick days a year. Yeah, Catherine, what I'd like Michelle to do, because you just said they owe you for a new rim. Go ahead, Michelle. What, no, what's the story? It, you know, if they've accepted responsibility yeah. for the tire, then you, you know, it's like being a little bit pregnant. Well, yeah. we'll pay a portion. You know what? You were negligent. You owe for the rim. The and that's an expensive and I've had rim. A similar experience with my car, and I did email you about that, Roy. Yeah. And it was it the most. Biz- no one wants to step up and be accountable and do the right thing. And it isn't just government. So it's did you? Did you? You pushed them as well, Michelle, right? Yes, and I, you know what, Roy? I wrote, you know, snail mail registered to the president of the, like, the manufacturer in Canada. And to their credit, I sent it out on Saturday, last Saturday, because we've got the post office open half a day. And by Wednesday, I'd received a response. I haven't received my check for a refund, but I did get a response, and I write that off to social media. So the bottom line here is, if this happens to you... Go after them. Go after them. There are people who this spring will have damaged their cars, hitting potholes, and there's so many of them. Yep. Wherever you are in Canada, there, and, and then they have these maintenance covers. Why are they always six inches below the road level? So yeah. you're, you're driving along on a, on a perfectly flat road, and then this maintenance cover, pow, you go disappear in this thing. You come back out two hours later, and your car's all bent. I'm yeah. exaggerating a little bit. But, <laughs> but it's, it's scary. You don't know, take it. Really it. Don't take it. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. WorkingCanadians.ca. That's where you'll uh, find Catherine Swift and information about WorkingCanadians.ca, Linda Leatherdale, at Linda Leatherdale on Twitter, and LindaLeatherdale.com, independent business journalist, Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament, at Michelle Simpson on Twitter. So I mentioned uh, unions, Catherine. You know the story about planting the trees on the side of the road, right? The which? You know the story about planting trees on the side of the road? I'm not sure I do. It's a guy sitting in traffic. It's very moving very slowly. It's um, traffic jam. 
And he sees two guys. One guy's digging a hole, and the other guy's filling it in. <laughs> and they have a, a, a city truck beside them. And, and, I was going to say it has to be government. And he goes, <laughs> goes forward slowly, and they move forward, and one guy digs a hole, and the guy fills it in. And he keeps going, and these guys keep up with him, and they dig another hole, and the other guy fills it in. He finally says, what are you guys doing? Why, why do you keep digging a hole, and, and you keep filling it in? And they said, oh, the guy who puts the tree in the hole is sick today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's sadly about yeah, right. That's sad, sad but true. <laughs> this story from, uh, from Arizona is sad but true as well. Let me just read a couple of lines and then get your thoughts, because you're all mothers. Mother's Day tomorrow. For the past two years, a radio station in a small Arizona city has been playing a public service announcement that advises users of child pornography on how to escape police detection. The PSA tells people with child porn to store it on a specific type of computer hardware and, quote, hide it where nobody will ever find it, end quote. It goes on to give more details about how to avoid arrest ending with a public service message from The Cave, 97.7 FM. It's in a place called Benson, Arizona. It's aired for two years, and it was created by the station owner-operator, some Paul Lotsoff. It's, I, I don't know what to say. Two years. I hope, I hope they pulled the license from this guy. Well, I, I looked this up. I hadn't heard of this, Roy, until you, you mentioned it. And I looked it up just out of curiosity. And the, the guy is still that station owner who generated the ad and, or, the, you know, PSA, whatever. Um, he's he's still defending himself. Yeah, he is. I I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and yet he says, "Oh, not me though. No, no, I I don't I don't use you know I don't uh, indulge in child pornography." This there is more. There is, this is the tip of the iceberg to me. There has to be more to this story. Yeah, it's too bizarre. You know what else he said? Mostly, uh, Paul. Let's just read the story. Kav Lotsov uh, told CNN. He recorded the PSA about two years ago, quote, mostly to call attention to Arizona's extreme laws for child pornography and <laughs> yeah. try to keep people oh, out of right. life in prison just for possessing pictures. You know what, Roy? Yeah, can't be extreme enough if you ask Somebody me. If hurts a child, they should face the death penalty. That's what it should be. And you know what? It isn't a PSA as we know it. No. Public service announcement. It's a pedophile service announcement. In my view. It is. You're right. Absolutely correct. And and it's unbelievable you know it was on for two I, years, I think too. he ought to, ought to yank his license at minimum. And somebody ought to check his computers. I was going to say I'd look into the guy because this, this doesn't come out of nowhere, this kind of stuff. It's just No, and it's too bad deplorable. that he wasn't hacked. And had his computer shut oh, down. Oh, by ransomware. What about, yeah. well, let's talk about that. We have a minute and a half, the international ransomware story. And you know what's the scariest about this story? They, the guy that ended up shutting off the ransomware, it was, it was by accident. Oh, yeah? The, the, yeah, the tech guy, the techie guy who, who wondered what the heck was going on because there were some weird internet addresses coming up and stuff. And he was a, a, you know, a, tech, a, a good tech guy. He ended up by accident shutting it off and, and therefore preventing any further distribution of it. And that's what almost scares me the most. We know there's people hacking out there 24-7. It was an email attachment. But it was a total, it was a total fluke yeah. that he 
did the right thing to, to shut it oh. down, which means we're vulnerable even more so. <laughs> and, and, and hospitals in the U.K. weren't able to accept patients. I mean, they, the screen they said if you want to be able to access patients. your records, you have to provide us with this amount of money. And the financial system is predicated on Britain. this. Oh, puts a whole new thing on Hillary's Very scary. handle. <laughs> So, uh, we only have 37, 37 seconds. No, we have 30 seconds left. Well, actually, it's closer to 37. I'm surprised Linda hasn't mentioned the fact that all of our major banks got a downgrade this week. That is so right. What do you think of that, baby, eh? And Home Trust. I mean, look at this, but they've been downgraded, the banks. So, But the major banks, yeah. this is, again, another story that's not over. Yeah. Because of what you said, Linda. They're worried about the individual debt debt levels, exactly. And the mortgages. And if you can falsify income, as Home Trust was found, uh, I guess, some of their mortgage agents. So this this has only just started. And let's remember, the clampdown is cooling the market, but this will really hurt the market. All right, beauties. I thought when Michelle Michelle said it's because something you said, Linda, I thought something Linda said caused the banks to be downgraded. (laughs) (laughs) No. Well, okay. Linda's been predicting it for a while, though. Got to run, kids. We've been predicting it, Roy. We were right. Got to run, kids. Happy Mother's Day to all three of you tomorrow. Thank you. Talk to you next weekend. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.